Well, we are going to talk about our words today and uh, something we can all relate to. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to take it, turn to James chapter 3. If you need a Bible to follow along with us, we've got some right back here in the rear of the auditorium, some loners, and you can uh, pick up one of those and follow along with us. Glad you survived the parking lot fiasco. I think God's got something for you today. Well, I've got an idea for an invention, and uh, I think if I can just get the, some of the wrinkles ironed out in the design, if I can get it patented and marketed, it's going to make me a millionaire several times over. I'm convinced of it. It's going to sell like hotcakes. And I've got a prototype here. It's, um, you could call it a, a recall device for words or a word snatcher, okay? And the way this works is when you realize that you said something that you wish you hadn't said, you just engage this device and reach out and grab it and bring it back. And then it, it, you get to take it back. How many of you would purchase one of these if they worked? <laughs> For a limited time, three payments of nineteen ninety nine. And if you order in the next 30 seconds, I'll throw in a second one for free, okay? You know, we could probably all benefit from a word-snatching device like that. You ever done this? You ever said something and then a split second later you thought, oh no, why did I say that? I'm thinking of a Christmas dinner party I went to. And I know better, okay? I know better. But I sat down and just to make conversation with someone, I looked across the table and I said, so, how's the pregnancy going? It's like, oh no, give me that back. (laughs) I had forgotten that just a couple weeks earlier she had miscarried and it was just, you know, it was one of those want to get away moments. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let me get away. I'm, I'm thinking of some high profile people over the years who would have benefited greatly from having a word snatcher, having said things that they probably wish they hadn't. Uh, the recent passing of President Gerald Ford reminded me of that famous statement he made back in the 70s. There is no Soviet domination in Eastern Europe. You know, it's like, oh, really? Okay. Here's one from Vice President Dan Quayle. I recently toured Latin America, and the only regret I have is that I didn't study Latin harder in school so that I could converse with all those people. Uh... Presidential candidate Al Gore, famous one during my service in the U.S. Congress, I took the initiative in creating the Internet. Yeah. All righty then. Um, Sometimes it's not the word spoken that we'd like to recall. It's the word written or composed on an email. You ever, you know, compose an email and hit the send button and then thought, "Uh uh-oh, I shouldn't have sent, sent that to that person or to that group or to that whole department or whatever. That can happen like that. Well, I think we all understand intuitively that our words can get us into some big-time trouble. And James is going to talk to us today about our words. He's going to remind us of how important our words are, how prone they are to go out of control, how powerful they are, and what our words reveal about what's inside. So I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment and just ask the Lord to speak to us about this subject. And Father, I'm well aware that I'm about to say lots of words right now in this 
celebration. And I want to pray, as I do every week, that you would have control of my mind and my heart and my mouth, that I would say only what you want said. And Lord, as your people, Lord, we know that um, words have great power for good or for evil. Lord, I pray that you, through your Spirit, would speak. May we hear your words to us today, God. Talk to us about our lives, our hearts, and our words. May we be receptive to what you have for us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Watch your mouth. That time-honored phrase uttered by many mothers throughout the years. Young man, young woman, watch your mouth. (laughs) James has already talked to us a little bit in this letter on this subject. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 19, you remember he said, Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. A few verses later, he said, If someone thinks they're really spiritual but they don't have a rein on their tongue, then they are deceived. They're not as spiritual as they think that they are. But in chapter 3, he pulls out all the stops and he really just nails it head on. And I want us to read aloud together the first 12 verses of James chapter 3, okay? You can look at it on your study outline. I think they've got it on the screen, so let's read this out loud together, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now I want to quickly review the main points that James is making in this section. Then I want to get into some specifics about our choice of words and how they impact people. I think basically we could sum up this whole section with the simple phrase, our words matter. Our words matter. In fact, he starts by saying, words matter so much that those who use words to influence other people need to understand that they have a greater accountability before God. 
Basically, in verse 1, he's saying, you know, don't rush into becoming a teacher, a spiritual teacher. I know that the role may appear glamorous to you and, and the prospect of having influence may be appealing to you. But before you rush into that, you better stop and count the cost because James says that the bar is raised higher for those who use words to influence other people. It says we will be judged by a stricter judgment. Now around here, we acknowledge this by having our teachers and our leaders every year sign a leadership covenant. All of our small group leaders, our apprentices, those who teach in perspectives and our journey classes, we just want them to understand that, that the bar is a little bit higher for those who, who teach and who use words to influence other people. And uh, I thought it might be good this morning for this service as well. If you are a small group leader, an apprentice leader, if you teach in our perspectives or journey classes, I'm going to ask you to stand right now, would you, just so we can see who you are. <laughs> and I want to talk to you for just a minute. James says that we're going to be judged by a higher standard by God. And basically that means that we need to bring our lifestyle into alignment with our words, right? He's saying if there's a gap there between you know, what you say, the content of your classes, and your lifestyle, that, that that's a problem and that that needs to be addressed. But I want to thank you all for stepping up and uh, taking that covenant, being willing <laughs> to use the gifts that God has given you to serve and to bless and to teach other people. So let's give these folks a hand, can we? Thank you. James says our words are important, and especially for those who teach. And then he says his second point, I think, is one that we can all relate to, and that is this, all of us, all of us have trouble controlling our mouths. <laughs> we, we all do. He says, you know what, we all stumble in many ways. If you come across a person who has no problem with their mouth, you just met a perfect person. And those are pretty rare, not too many of those around. We all struggle with this. I think we need to get honest about it. Just put any of us in a situation where someone is pushing our buttons and we're likely to cut loose a little bit, aren't we? <laughs> we're likely to take aim and, and, you know, fire. I came across a book recently I want to recommend to you. It's, it's got an interesting title, Who's Pushing Your Buttons? <laughs> and it's a good one. Dr. John Townsend has done all of us a favor. The subtitle is Handling the Difficult People in Your Life. And uh, sometimes we do well with our words until we get in that situation with that one person who just knows how to push our buttons, and then we get in trouble with our mouths, right? So I recommend it to you. It's, it's a good one. It's a great read. All right, the third point that James is making in this passage, and he takes some time to do it, is this. The tongue is a small, it's a tiny member of the body, but it has huge power, James says. And he uses some illustrations to, to get this point across. He says, you know, that little metal piece that we put into the, the mouth of a horse. And think about the fact that through that small little bit, that entire animal, you know, a thousand pound animal can be steered and directed wherever the rider wants him to go. And then he says, think about ships, huge ocean-going vessels. Think about them and think about the fact that, that they have this little appendage on the bottom called a rudder 
that can steer the whole ship wherever the pilot wants it to go. And he says, you know what? The tongue is like that. It's a tiny little member of the body, but it makes great boasts. It's got huge influence, is what James is saying. It can steer your life. It can direct your course. It can set your future. And that's powerful stuff. But then he changes his tone a little bit and he, and he starts to explore kind of the dark side of our words, the, the negative side. Specifically, the power of the tongue for evil and for destruction. And he says this in verses 6 through 8. Our mouths, we need to understand this, can create massive amounts of damage and destruction. And again, he uses some metaphors, some illustrations from nature. He says, think about a a little spark, okay? A little spark that ignites and then kind of just bursts into flames. Think of the way that that wildfire can just make its way through an entire forest and just wreak havoc in that forest. That's the destructive, devastating power of the tongue, James says. Like a wildfire. He says, think about a wild animal, undisciplined, restless, you know, can't be tamed, out of control. The tongue is like that often. He says, well, think about a snake, a poisonous snake, um, full of venom, just, you know, poised and ready to strike its victim. The tongue is like that. Now, these are not positive analogies, are they? These are negative. These point to the destructive potential of our words. James is saying this little member of our body can wreak unimaginable amounts of devastation. And we're going to look at that more in just a few moments. Then he says, think about this, our mouths often get us into trouble with God by being shamelessly inconsistent. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father And with the same tongue, we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, he says, come both praise and cursing. This should not be. And this is all too common, isn't it? I mean, you know how this goes. You come to church on Sunday, and it's great, and the worship band is playing, and the words are up on the screen, and the vocalists are singing, and and you're there, and you're just praising God. You're blessing his name. On Sunday, and then on Monday, or maybe even Sunday afternoon, maybe even trying to get out of the parking lot, someone cuts in front of you and you go, what a jerk, what an idiot you are. Or on Monday, you know, at the office or the plant, something comes up and you, a co-worker there and it's like, you know, you are just, you're, you're just a fool. And James says, do you see a problem with that? Does that seem to you like talking out of both sides of your mouth, praising and blessing God, but then cursing those whom God has made? And he says, you know what, that, that, that's going to get you into trouble with God. He doesn't take kindly to that. And then the last point that he makes is a good one. We need to understand this. And that is, in verses 11 and 12, he's trying to get across that our words have a source, okay? Our words come from somewhere. They don't really originate in our mouths. They come from somewhere else. They have a source. And he loves using these illustrations from nature. So he talks about 
Um, Water flowing from a spring. He talks about trees producing certain kinds of fruit. Our words come from somewhere. And where do they come from? They come from the heart. No one said it better than Jesus. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you know that? That spiritually speaking, your mouth is connected to your heart and what's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Eventually it will. And mine. So you can know that if you hear someone spouting off bitter words, that that comes from what? A heart that has bitterness. A heart that's been hurt. A heart that's angry. If you hear someone, you know, saying words of gratefulness and thankfulness, you know that they have a thankful heart. What's in the heart comes out of the mouth, James is saying. Our words have a source. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Our words have a source. This is crucial to understand because it teaches us that if we really want to change our words, if we really want to change our dialogue, our conversation, a word snatcher is not going to work. It's got to go deeper. It's got to start in the heart. So I want to take our remaining time and I want to talk about two different categories of words, okay? Because the fact is that we can leverage our words for evil or for good to build people up or tear people down. So let's talk about this a little bit. And it's going to hit us right where we live, okay? I want to talk first about what I'm going to call wrecking ball words, okay? Words that that smash and tear down and are destructive. I think when James said the tongue is a fire, you know, flammable words, poisonous words, these are the kinds of words he had in mind. The first category we might call just lying and deception. Deceptive words, lying words. These kind of words wreck things, don't they? In the Ten Commandments... The ninth commandment says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, or do not lie. Do not tell lies. When I think of all the words that just tear at the fabric of a a relationship, deceitful lying words are, are up near the top of that list. Aren't they with you? I mean, someone can lie to me maybe twice, by the third time someone lies to me, I just put them in a different category. I, 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 I don't let them into my world anymore. You know why? Because I don't trust them. And at the, at the foundational level of every relationship is trust. And lying and deception is like a corrosive acid that eats away at the fibers of that fabric of trust in a relationship. Wrecks lives. When husbands deceive their wives, when kids lie to their parents, when employees lie to their superiors at work, it wrecks trust. Now, I found in my life that um, God's been working in my life to the point where I don't, I don't tell a lot of big whoppers anymore. Now, maybe you do, but I, I, I don't find myself struggling in that area. It's the little things. 
It's the little imprecisions. It's the little exaggerations that I find I catch myself in sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Rounding, you know? Rounding up. Just stretching the truth ever so slightly, calculated to make me look better than I really am or make my case stronger than it really is or absolve me from responsibility somehow. This is what the Holy Spirit's talking to me about these days. Steve, what is this about? What is, this, what is in your heart that is causing you to, on occasion, do this? To stretch the truth, to exaggerate a little bit, to be imprecise. What's that all about? And I'm grateful that he's working on me. <laughs> Can we all just agree that, that lying and deception just wrecks things? It not only wrecks relationships, it not only offends God, but you know what else it does? It does something to you when you tell a lie. One man put it this way, every time, every time you or I tell a lie, there's an internal dismemberment of our character that occurs. I think he's right. Wrecking ball words, lies, deception. The second category is no better, and that is slanderous and gossip, gossiping words. Slander and gossip. What's that? That's passing on damaging information about one person to someone else, right? It's trashing someone's reputation in front of other people. Now, think about this for a little bit. This is a very insidious, dark sin. You know, if someone's a thief, if someone steals, we don't condone that, obviously, but we can kind of understand it because they gain something, right? If you steal a television or whatever, then then they've got something to show for their theft. (laughs) But what is gained, really, think about it, what is gained by trashing someone else's reputation, by slandering them? I mean, what for, really? What's gained by that? Now, we know how this goes, right? You're talking to someone there, and uh, you say, uh, hey, hey, did you hear about Fred? I probably shouldn't say anything, which is code for, I'm going to find a way to, to tell the juicy details of Fred's situation, right? I probably shouldn't say anything, but, but did you hear about Fred? I say, no, no, I didn't. I didn't hear about Fred. Well, since you asked, let me tell you. Fred is up to his eyeballs in debt. Did you know that? Fred is sleeping in the wrong bed these days. Fred's kids are out of control. They're AWOL. And you have this juicy conversation and then it's done and you walk away and Fred's reputation is in ashes in a heap on the ground, right? Trashed. He's not there. He can't defend himself. He can't correct misinformation. His reputation's been trashed. I think when James talked about that spark that bursts into flames and spreads like a wildfire, and, and I think he was talking about gossip and slander. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just declared new life a slander-free zone? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be pleasing to our Lord if we just purposed in our hearts to not entertain that kind of conversation? 
to love one another enough that we, we were actually out to preserve each other's reputation. Wouldn't it be great if in our small groups people got vigilant about this and, and cared about one another and leaders were on alert to this and, and whenever a conversation started to go that direction and someone was you know, starting to get their reputation tainted a little bit that someone says, no, no, let's, let's not go there. Let's not do that. Let's not speak it and let's not hear it. Let's not receive it. Slanderous words of gossip are wrecking ball words. They smash reputations. They wreck lives. Remember years ago, after Vince Foster in Washington committed suicide, this is back in the late 90s, he, he um, well, it was before he committed suicide that he said this, okay? He said, um, Washington, D.C. is the only city where people's reputations are destroyed for sport. Let's be a slander-free zone at New Life. Let's love each other enough that we say, you know, we're not going to enter into that. We're not going to enter into that. All right, the third category is similar. Words of uh, devaluing and diminishing or demeaning other people. And I know it's cool at certain ages to do this, okay? Cut people down, call them names, make fun of their flaws. But think about it. You know what? Remember that old playground nursery rhyme that a lot of us shouted defiantly back at this person who just cut us down? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we walked away with hot tears streaming down our cheeks, right? Because it's a lie. Words hurt. How many people are walking around with jagged wounds in their hearts because someone used words like a serrated knife and cut them and wounded them? How many adults are walking around these days with scars from those kinds of wounds? Words spoken 20, 25, 30, 40 years ago. Words can hurt. Words do hurt. And James would say, don't use devaluing words. Don't use demeaning words. Don't put other people down. Jesus knew the destructive power of these kinds of words, and he reserved some very harsh words of his own. In Matthew 5, he said, look, if you call someone a fool, if you look at someone and say, you're a fool, You know what he said? You're in danger of the fires of hell. That's serious stuff. Talk about people like that. Talk to people like that. Label them, demean them, devalue them. He said, if you do that, you do that at your own peril. Why? Because ugly labels like that and put-downs fly in the face of one of God's supreme values, and that is that all people matter to God. James said, don't don't bless God on Sunday and curse men and women whom he created on Monday. He said, "That, that grates against God's holiness. You know what? You've never locked eyes with someone that God doesn't care about. You've never met someone that Jesus didn't die for. God loves all people. You may not like them, but God loves all people. All people. 
And some of us, I get concerned at what comes out of our mouths. You know, when God was, was working on me in this area, Ephesians 4.29 was just a pivotal verse. And Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no maggot-infested communication come out of your mouth. Although in your translation it says corrupt. Let no corrupt communication. But in the original it means spoiled, maggot-infested. And some of us are serving up some pretty rotten stuff. Sarcastic put-downs. Derisive words. Making fun of people. Side-swiping comments. Harsh criticism. Angry tirades. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't be serving that stuff up. Stop it. Only speak words that are, that are good for edifying and for building up other people. Wrecking ball words. A fourth category would be profanity and obscenity. Now, anybody ever get the soap treatment growing up? I honestly can't remember specifics. I can't remember my parents doing this, but I, I can still remember the taste of soap. So all I can figure is it must have happened, and I've been suppressing it all these years, you know. The soap treatment. Not highly recommended for parents to use with their kids. Can be hazardous to, uh, sucking on soap can be hazardous to your health, I guess. But you know, It doesn't really work, does it? Because the real problem is not dirty mouths. The real problem is dirty hearts, right? Sucking on soap or oral rinse or whatever is not what's needed. Heart surgery is what's needed. Deeper level stuff. You better listen to what I'm saying today. Should we be concerned about that? Oh, is that ice shifting off the roof, landing on my van out there, probably? Okay, I need a new car anyway. What was I talking about? Oh, profanity and obscenity. Yes, we need to, we need to get this. Uh, you know... When I ask my kids, sometimes I do, you know, hey, this kid at school, do you think he's a Christian? Do you think she's a Christian? I'm interested because my kids evaluate that kind of um, thing based on what they hear coming out of the kid's mouth. And they'll say, well, Dad, I, don't, I really don't think so because that, that kid really cusses a lot. Or I think that kid is a Christian because he doesn't cuss. Isn't that interesting? That even a 10-year-old has enough discernment to understand that, that what's in the heart comes out of the mouth and that what our words are a reflection of what's inside. And if nothing's been changed in here, if, if there's just ugliness and obscen- obscenity inside and profanity, that's, that's going to come out of a mouth. Off-color, sexually-oriented jokes and stories, choice four-letter words spewed out in an angry rage, 
and especially using the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as a curse word. I mean, this should not be named among us, should it? We who follow Christ, who love him, who've surrendered our lives to him, in an angry moment, using his name flippantly or or as a curse word? James would say, man, watch your words. Enough of that side of things. Let's go over to the other side. Let's talk about words that bless and build up. James says you can leverage the power of words for good if you'll start blessing people, and I think he's right. Think about uh, words of praise and affirmation. That would be the first category. Praise and affirmation. You know, when you see a dad or a mom talking to their kid and saying, you know, Joey or, you know, Kaylee or whatever, great job out there. Way to go. You did great. You, you hear that and you see a kid just light up, don't you? Just light up. I mean, we, we thrive in a climate of affirmation, don't we? We need this. Affirmation is oxygen to the human soul. Mark Twain said, I can go two months on just one good compliment. Imagine Leveraging the power of your words to breathe life into a sagging soul, to to cause someone to to soar again, to put wind in their sails. And it costs you nothing. Just some sincere words of affirmation. Good job, way to go. Try this at, at the office sometime. I know that the culture there is probably not this way and you'll stand out, but catch somebody doing something right and then go up to them and say, you know what, that was awesome, way to go. Way to go. I'm so glad we're on the same team together. What would we do if you weren't here? You know, and after they pick themselves up off the ground, you can go on. Praise and affirmation. Words that build up. Second are words of gratefulness and appreciation. Just a simple thank you can go a long ways, can it? You recognize, you notice that somebody has done something for you and you look them in the eye and say, thank you, thank you. You know, today, you have an opportunity to do this. How many of you have children being ministered to somewhere in our children's ministries right now? Can I see your hands? Okay. Why not today, when you go to pick up your kids in a few minutes, why not look that volunteer children's ministry worker in the eye and just say, you know what, I appreciate what you do. Especially if your kids are... (laughs) What's the PC term these days? Spirited, spirited, especially if your kids are spirited, okay? You say, you know what, I appreciate that back here you're teaching our children, you're nurturing them, it's a safe environment, I can go in with the adults and worship in an undistracted way and learn God's word, thank you, thank you, just tell them thank you. Thank our tech people every week who do a great job. Can I get an amen from up in the booth up there? Thank an usher, you just thank somebody. Boy, it just creates a a climate where we can thrive and flourish. Gratefulness and appreciation. The Bible says, appropriate words spoken are like apples of gold in settings of silver. Beautiful. Beautiful. A third kind of words along these lines are words of value and respect. You know, no one thrives in a climate of disrespect. Let me talk to some wives for a minute, those of you who are married. 
Especially, wives, your husband needs to feel that he's in an environment, a climate where he's respected. Did you know that? He may not admit it, but he needs this. Studies have consistently showed that men say, generally speaking, husbands will say, I would rather be respected than loved. Now think about that for a minute. And if you're a wife and and you're constantly harping on your husband or belittling him or making him feel stupid or incompetent, you're striking him at the very core of his being and he's going to start shriveling up or looking elsewhere for what he needs. You don't want to do that. You know, you can change that climate in your marriage. Wives, look for something good. You may not have to look for a while, okay? Look, find something good that he's doing and praise him for it. Tell him he's the, the greatest, you know, sink fixer, faucet fixer you've ever met in your life or whatever, something that he's good at. Praise him behind his back to other people or within earshot of him so that he knows that you think he's the most awesome dude in the world and you're blessed to have him. Maybe, just maybe, if you started doing that, you'd start to see some of those changes that you'd like to see in your husband. If you began to create a different climate in your marriage... Words of value and respect and honor. And the last category of words are affection and love. Affection and love. Flip the coin here. Recently a wife told me, she said, you know what, my husband never tells me that he loves me. He just doesn't say the words, hasn't for many, many years. He never tells me that he loves me. And we talked a little bit more. And I could tell that that is leaving a cavity in her, a void in her, that's, that's causing her to be downcast and depressed and vulnerable. Do we understand this? Guys? You know, this is not the sort of deal where you can say about your wife, you know, well, I told her 25 years ago that I loved her, and if it ever changes, I'll let her know. You know? we're, we're wired differently. We need regular confirmation of what, yes, we know to be true in our heads. We need to hear the words, wives especially. When was the last time you looked in the eyes of someone that you love and you just told them, you said the words, you know what, I care about you. You mean so much to me. I love you. I love you. Those are powerful, powerful words to bless and to build up and to connect with people. You know what James is saying in this passage? He's saying, your words matter. They matter. What you say matters. It has an impact on you, on people, and on God. And I'm not exactly sure how this message is intersecting your life today, but I do believe this. There's something you're supposed to say to someone as a a result of this message. There's something you're supposed to say to someone. Might be your spouse, might be your kids, your parents, might be a coworker. There's something you're supposed to say to someone. Could be an apology. I am so sorry. I am so sorry for what I said yesterday, last week, 
last month, 30 years ago. I am so sorry. It was so, it's so wrong. It was hurtful. I've been convicted of this. I am so sorry. Could you find it in your heart to forgive me? It might be that. It might be an apology. I'm sorry for hurting you with my words. I'm sorry for being sarcastic, for cutting you down, for making you feel this big. That was so wrong. I wouldn't want people to do that to me. Just please forgive me. It might be words of blessing and affirmation, just a way to go, a good job, and I love you. There's something you're supposed to say to someone as a result of this message. Let me say this to finish out. Ultimately, it's not a mouth problem. It's a heart thing. And thank God we serve Jesus Christ who's in the, who's in the business of transforming hearts. Amen? Amen? Of changing our hearts. And, and you might need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. You know, this is, I haven't been reflecting you. I haven't been reflecting a transformed heart in the way I've been talking to people. Please forgive me. Help me to fill myself up with more good stuff, more of your word. More worship, more praise music, whatever. Help me to put more good stuff in my heart so that more good stuff starts coming out of my mouth. So please bow your heads and close your eyes for these next few moments. And I want you to think about this. Jimmy and Rachel are going to come. They're going to sing this great song that they wrote together. But as they do, I want you to find a a white space on your outline somewhere there where you can still write something. I'm going to ask you to write down the name of the person that you need to say something to. Just write their name down. Dad. Sis. This friend, that co-worker, this neighbor, my son, my daughter. I want you to ask God to give you the courage to say what needs to be said in that relationship. Man, you could maybe change the whole climate of that relationship with a few selected words from your mouth. Lord, um, thank you for your words to us in the book of James. Cleanse our hearts. Cleanse our mouths. Lord, may we be more conscious than ever of what's coming out what's being said, the effects of that. May we become known as a a people, a church that blesses people, lifts them up. Speak to us now these next few moments. I pray in Jesus' name.